Hey, uh, we have a guest uh, speaker this morning, and I'm really, hey, Marta, I haven't seen you for a while. It's great. Anyway, her name's not Marta. Did you know that? God just told, told no, not really. Uh, actually, his name is uh, Chris Lindenmeyer. So, Chris, you want to come up here? Um, I've gotten to know Chris recently, great guy. I said to him though, sometimes it feels like you're wearing a mask. I mean, but no. He'll take the mask off when he goes back here uh, to preach. But um, uh, Chris uh, just recently moved here from Colorado, from Kansas, and he's married to um, Kara and Paxson who are downstairs, right? So uh, he, Chris was the assistant chaplain at Mid-American Nazarene University and then also served at uh, College, College Church, Nazarene Church, and has a master's uh, degree in Christian formation and discipleship, which means he knows how to fix all of your problems. So I said, Chris, would you uh, preach for us this morning and fix all of our problems? So I'm pretty sure that's what will happen, um, but maybe we should pray. Can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And then, okay. So, uh, Father, I thank you for Chris. I thank you for your story and Chris's life, your unique story in his life. Thank you, Father, for caring for Paxson. Thank you for your word. Lord God, I thank you that your word is the one who fixes us, so I shouldn't put that on Chris. But we pray, Father, that uh, you would use Chris as your vessel to speak to all of us. Thank you, Lord God, that what we have to say is, is good. You're good. So bless Chris, bless us as we together preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for allowing me to be here today. It's, it really is such a blessing just to be uh, in worship together and, and to be able to do this. And as, as Pastor Peter said, I, um, for, for the past couple of years, I've worked at a church in Kansas City, and I've worked on a college campus and uh, as an assistant chaplain. And so this was kind of a regular occurrence for me to be able to be up here and to speak and kind of since COVID, I, that hasn't happened. And so this is really, it's kind of refreshing and, and a blessing for me to be able to, to be up here to share with you guys this morning. So as you said, my name's Chris. And uh, even though I may not be a familiar face to this community, I'm grateful for this opportunity to, to be up here and to share. So um, just a little bit about me before we get started. I kind of grew up all over the place. So I was born in Southern California, and then I uh, moved to Iowa, quite the transition. And then we moved back to California and back to Iowa, and uh, I kind of ended up in Kansas City. So I've been in Kansas City for the last 10 years, and uh, Kansas City is actually where I went to school. And it's where I met my wife. And um, she's down in the cry room right now with our son. But my wife is uh, a Colorado native. And uh, that's the reason I married her, right? So I could have citizenship to the great state of Colorado and maybe be considered a, a partial native. I don't know. Um, but no, this is, this is my wife. My wife and I have been married uh, five and a half years. And uh, I think you can see us on, up on the screen. I can't see us, but um, married five and a half years. We have a dog, Sage. And we also have this little guy who's, I think he's on the left there. Um, and his name is Paxton, and Paxton is going to be a year old next Sunday. So we're excited about that, and we're actually going to throw him a dinosaur birthday party because uh, one of the things that he loves to do most is to roar. 
So maybe after the service, you can, you can get him to roar for you, but he, he loves to roar. So um, yeah, in Kansas City, my wife was an eighth grade math teacher, and I worked on a college campus. And so we would come home, and we would kind of swap stories, and we would be like, you know what? Eighth graders aren't that different from college students. <laughs> um, so that was fun, though. On, on campus, I was the assistant chaplain, and I really, I really loved working with college students. Um, you know, most of you guys have kind of been through that stage, but college students, they just, they, they ask tough questions, right? They're, they're honest, they ask these tough questions, um, but they're also seeking, right? They're also in the stage of trying to discover not only who they are, but who God is. And so it's just such a joy to be able to be in that process with them and to be able to walk through and journey through that with them. Um, yeah, so they're a unique bunch. Uh, like I said earlier, we would have chapel because uh, it was a Christian university and we would have chapel a couple times a week. And I remember this one time where I, I mean, it had to be the best sermon that I've ever given, right? I was up here and I was preaching and I was just, I mean, it, it just was so good. And I could tell that it was just a direct message from the Lord. And I looked up and I could see the tangible glow upon their faces. And I just was, ah, oh, it was such a great moment for me. And then I saw in the front row, realized that it was just from their cell phone and they had actually been, uh, been tuned out long ago. But no, they're, they're a great bunch. Um, I really, I really did enjoy it. Uh, and through all their inconsistencies and, and chaos, it was just fun to, fun to be a part of that. So um, my wife and I recently moved uh, to Colorado, moved back to Colorado, and uh, we're, just, we're just really excited to see how God continues to direct our path. And so um, we'll be around after service, so if you guys want to come say hi, maybe give an elbow bump or a fist bump, whatever, um, meet our son, that would be, that would be awesome. So um, you, you may be wondering, what is this envelope for, and can I open it? I know that it's tempting to open it right now, but just hold on to that. Don't open it quite yet. I'll explain what that is later. No, this is not, uh, you know, I tried to pick, I tried to pick uh, blue and orange for the Broncos, but, you know, this is, this is not a red pill, blue pill type of matrix thing that, um, that you have there. So uh, just, just hold on to that. The, everything, it's all the same inside there. So, um, but yeah, all right. Uh, that's me. That's a little bit about me and my family. And um, so, yeah, just excited to be here with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Lord, and we know that you love us so much and that you're drawing us to yourself. And so, Lord, as we come into this space to worship this morning, everything that we have carried in with us, everything that has gone on throughout the week, Lord, we just offer that to you right now. We're present with those things, but we offer it to you knowing that you are the God who cares. The God who cares and the God who takes up our burdens. The God who loves us so much and calls us to himself. So Lord, as we listen today, I pray that uh, we would be attentive with our hearts. And that you would bless the words that are coming out of my mouth, Lord. And that they would be your words that they would speak to this people. 
And Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And some of you guys might be familiar with um, this, this scripture passage. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit different than maybe you're used to. Uh, I want you today, I, I, so I have the scripture passage up there, but I don't have this text up there. Because what I want you to do today is I want you to just listen. I want you to listen to the text. Uh, you see, the biblical text is a narrative. It's a narrative that is a story, and specifically this text is a parable. And parables are these oral stories that really they call upon our imagination. And, and, and they're not some sort of uh, treasure map, right? They're not a treasure map to discover something. They're not a how-to guide. They're not a, a diagram to be dissected and, and scientifically put together. Um, but really, it's an opportunity to listen. And I think when we listen, instead of read, we actually process this di- uh, information a little bit differently. And, and so that's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. I'm actually going to ask you to close your eyes, which is something that I could never ask college students to do on a, a 9.30 in the morning. But I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and listen, not just with your mind, not just analytically, but I want you to listen with your heart. And I really want you to, I really want you to listen and, and see how you're feeling. How is this passage making you feel? And Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you also go to the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay. Beginning with, the least, or beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure how much preaching I need to do on this passage today, right? It's pretty self-explanatory. This is one of those parables that's like, oh, I kind of get what's going on here. But 
if I'm going to be completely honest, and I think if you're completely honest with yourselves, I don't think a lot of us really like the point of this passage. Even the Jewish audience who was listening to this was probably like, oh, I don't know if I really like that point, Jesus. But how are you feeling? How are you feeling during this time? Were you feeling maybe a little bit hopeful? A little bit excited? Or maybe you were feeling a little bit anxious. There was some tension between the landowner and the laborers. Or, or maybe, maybe you were feeling a little bit confused or a little bit angry at the injustice that those who worked longer didn't get paid more. So how are you feeling? And I think if you're feeling some of those, some of those feelings of, of confusion or anxiety or anger, that's okay because I think that's okay because our society and our world, uh, it's natural, especially in the world that operates, we operate in a system of you do more and you get paid more, right? We operate in this world of work harder and you're going you're gonna to be way better off, right? This, this world of if I just do my very best, if I give my very best effort, then it's going to pay off in the end. So, so this, this passage can seem a little bit upside down, and, and this is really what Jesus does so often, right? He turns the world that we think we know on its head. You know, we, we kind of come out here and we think, oh, this is the kingdom of God, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Actually, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a little bit upside down, right? It's a little bit backwards. And the nature of parables, they're, they're subversive, which is very much like the nature of the kingdom of heaven, right? You think of the parable, uh, as parables were subversive, like the, like the mustard seed. He tells this parable of the mustard seed that, you know, starts small and starts below the surface and, and kind of slowly blooms into one of these, one of the biggest trees. And... Uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Eugene Peterson, his quote is, Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subversive. Right? The kingdom of God, it comes in this way. It comes in this way that is a little bit unexpected, a little bit slow, kind of starting beneath the surface. And, and Jesus uses these parables, uh, and he uses ordinary language in these parables, right? He uses seed, and uh, he talks about farmers, and he talks about uh, the soil, and things like that, and he uses these simple images, and hardly ever talks about God, or he talks, or hardly ever talks about religion, especially in these parables. But what happens is that these people who hear this, the seed is planted in their hearts, and they start to think about this a little bit. They start to think, okay, what does he mean by this? What, how, is this how is this actually playing out? And, and it starts to slowly bloom in them and transform their lives. And so this, this way of telling the story, this way of teaching through the parable, it's just brilliant. And, uh, and so this is what he's doing with this passage today. And so can you imagine— you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, can you imagine an actual vineyard who, or an actual um, vineyard owner who was listening to this parable during that time, right? Here he's probably like, this is, Jesus, this is just not a good business strategy, right? Your workers to work ratio is just, it's way off. It's way, you have way too many workers. You know, the efficiency and the productivity of these workers is just not going to be at its highest potential. And you're paying them a full day's wages for one hour of work, right? Like, that's just asking for your profits to plummet, Jesus. 
And I think growing up in this type of culture, right, that, that rewards those who work hard, we can often develop a sense of entitlement. And as we develop this sense of entitlement, we feel like we deserve because we have earned. And, and let me say this. I think that this, this is okay in the business world, right? This is okay in, in, in some of our daily lives. Like when you go to the gym— you don't just go to the gym and sit down and be like, all right, I'm going to leave and I'm going to be, you know, just as fit as those who are working out all day long. So I think there's a place for this. But what happens is we start to adopt this same philosophy into our spiritual lives, right? We start to adopt this, this philosophy of if I work, then I'll deserve. And, and, and what happens is when we start to do this, this becomes dangerous because our entitlement— it leads us to start drawing lines and to start saying, well, I did this, so I deserve this, but that person doesn't. And it starts to, it starts, we start drawing lines and we start picking who's in and who's out and what's going on with all that. And so I think none of us, you know, we start to, we, I think our entitlement leads us to draw our lines of, of who deserves what. And we start to compare people to our reality. And, and I think the actual reality is that none of us are deserving of God's grace. You see, the issue with those who work the longest, it was not that they got paid less, right? They didn't have an issue with what they got paid, that they got paid less. But they, the issue was that others were paid the same, Many of us have heard the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, right? And, and I think growing up, at least for me, I thought this story was all about Jonah's calling. I thought it was all about him running away from his calling, you know, getting on the boat, getting thrown off the boat, getting swallowed by the fish or the whale or whatever, and then spat up on shore. And kind of just, he's kind of just running away from his own calling, right? But it's actually, it's actually not about that. Maybe a little bit, but not, not totally about that. And, and I'm actually going to read this passage from Jonah chapter 3. And this, is, this passage starts just after Jonah uh, preached this message of repentance to the Ninevites. And it says this, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Listen to this. This is the part right here. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishment. See, Jonah's issue was not about his calling. Jonah's issue was because he knew that the Lord was generous. And the Ninevites were Assyrians. They were his enemy, right? They, they were the, the bad guy. And so he didn't want them to be saved. He didn't want them. He didn't want God to relent. And, and he knew that God would because he knew that God was generous. And so I think, you know, often we— we kind of ad adopt this same attitude as Jonah, right? We start drawing lines of who we feel deserves what. And oftentimes, 
you know, our enemies deserve this, right? And we deserve this. But the kingdom of God is generous. And I think it's really important that we don't become envious of his generosity. When I was in college, I worked for an organization in Denver. And, uh, and what we did was, uh, we did all sorts of things, but we kind of led these inner city mission experiences for uh, middle school and high school youth. And, uh, but one of the things that we did is we would go to this church parking lot and we would make breakfast burritos for day laborers. And uh, we would hand out these breakfast burritos to day laborers, and many of them were men, and, and a lot of them were immigrants, and some of them were illegal immigrants. And, and so they were, they were a little bit vulnerable and a little bit open to, uh, to being cheated, but um, these day laborers would literally sit in this parking lot and wait for just a random person to drive by and to ask them to come work. And they would hop in with them, and they would go work. Many times it was manual labor. They would work all day, uh, and then they would come back and and get dropped back off at the same place. Well, as we were kind of conversing with them and hearing some of their stories, we started to hear that uh, there were a few times where these, these guys would go, and they would work all day long, promised a certain wage, and then they would come back, and people would drop them off and not pay them. And it was crazy, and we were just, I think it was heartbreaking uh, but then we stumbled upon these people called the, the Wage Theft Direct Action Team. And, and they were these advocates for these, these laborers. And uh, the Wage Theft Direct Action Team, since 2014, has recouped nearly $40,000 working with low-wage workers on their wage theft claims. In 2017 alone, the team re- recovered $20,000 in unpaid wages by employers. And I'm telling you this story for a few reasons. One is because this parable is actually more of a reality than uh, maybe we even realize, right? Like this is still, these things are still happening today. But also because the wage theft action team was joining a kingdom cause. They were joining in to God's kingdom by stewarding their God-given gifts and caring for the last, right? Those who are on the margins, those who are a little bit left out. And so I think it's important too that as we kind of transition in this parable, that we also are joining in God's kingdom work and and realize that this is actually a key part of the story and we don't want to miss it. You see, in this story, it it is not only about receiving a a reward we don't deserve. I think that, that is a huge part of it, but that's not the only part. It's about an invitation. We have been invited into God's kingdom story here and now. And we all have a part to play. And actually, this part that we play is part of that reward. You know, I think it's interesting that some of the laborers saw their work as a burden, right? They come to Jesus and they said, we've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And if you're familiar with the story of the parable of the prodigal son, this was kind of the attitude of the older brother, right? Who, who didn't realize that everything that he had, everything that the father had was his also. And that joining into this kingdom effort is actually such a gift, and so I think that if we, if we uh, don't forget that, I think that's it's really important is that everything we have, everything he has already belongs to us. And he's generous. He's generous with his grace, but 
he's also generous because he's inclusive, right? He's not drawing lines. Rather, he continues to bring people into the vineyard. And this labor that we participate in is, in fact, a part of that gift. So Andrew Rublev is, a, uh, is an artist, and he painted this, this really, it's pretty famous um, painting. It's called The Trinity. And it's huge. It's, I don't know how big it is, but it's, it's life-size. And so, um, but this Trinity, this Trinity icon, it has a lot of significance, um, you can see the, the father, starting from the left to the right, you can see the, the father and then the son is in the middle and he's gesturing towards the cup. And then the spirit is on the left. And, and this kind of stems from the story in Genesis where the three, the three uh, um, strangers visit Abraham. And in this picture, there's so much significance, but they're, they're all looking at each other with one eye, which is kind of weird, but they're all looking at each other with one eye. And with the other eye, they're all kind of looking at this space, this open space, right? They're kind of sitting in this weird, weird way where there's an open space at the table. And that, in fact, is actually an invitation. That's an invitation for you and for me to be a part of that table, to be a part of what some might say the divine life. And and so, um, on this painting, there's actually, you can maybe see there's this little box, and uh, it looks like a little box at the very front of the table, and it, it was believed that on the front of this box was actually a mirror, and that mirror, as you're looking at the painting, reflected your face into there, and so uh, I think that as we think about what it means to participate in God's kingdom, it's not just we're part of the kingdom, yay, but it's actually we are a part of that divine triune God's life, and he is bringing us in to that life. And, and that, to me, is just some really good news. So the landowner goes out early. Then he goes out again at 9 and at 12 and 3 and again at 5, an hour before the sun goes down. And I love this because contextually, the landowner going out at the beginning of the day, that's like a normal thing, but they would go out at the, at the beginning of the day and they would hire all the laborers that they needed for the rest of the day. And so as the Jewish audience is hearing this, they're like, oh yeah, that's normal. But then when he starts to, con- he continues to go and he says he goes out at nine and then at 12 and at three and then at five. I can just see the surprise on their faces thinking, this is, going out four times is extreme. That's, that's excessive, right? But it shows God's invitation extends beyond the normal bounds of time. It's a generosity that is extreme and that is excessive. And that's often hard to comprehend. But he brings these laborers in and he continues to bring them in until the end of the day. And he, he brings these laborers in to participate in his kingdom. And what a generous gift that is. As you're reading this, I know that you've probably been putting yourselves in maybe the laborer's shoes, right? You're thinking as yourself, as, as one of the laborers. But what if the goal is actually to become like the landowner? What if that's the goal in this parable? Is it not for us to just be the laborers, but for us to become like the landowner, the one who continues to invite others in? And what a, trans, what a transition that would be. What a transformation in our lives that would be to go from a, from a laborer who is stuck in this, 
entitled scarcity, right? What's mine is mine. I've worked for this. I've earned this. Creating these boundaries and saying, I, look what I've done compared to what they've done. I deserve, don't I deserve this? That transformation to go to this abundant invitation, the self-giving grace and generosity that's available. And, and, and so, the one, as we, as we think about that and we think about what does it mean as we perceive the last and the lost and the left out? Maybe some of those people who we don't feel deserve it. Maybe some of our enemies. And being able to extend that invitation of grace to those people, that's hard. That's really hard. But that is exactly what Christ is doing with this story. Okay, so you got your envelopes, and I'm going to have you guys open your envelopes at this time. Raise your hand if you got the $100 bill in your envelope. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, If you're listening online or if you are uh, watching online, I'm sorry, I didn't have enough stamps to send all these envelopes to you. Um... But on the screen is what, is what you're seeing in the envelope, and it, and it says this. You blank, you can put your name there, are invited to participate in God's kingdom, which is a gift. Your unique and creative self is a blessing to God and to others. And then it goes on to say, I will steward my gifts of blank. And these gifts are not just, they're not just spiritual giftings. But these gifts are actually the gifts of your work, the gifts of your talents, your resources, your time, uh, your family, whatever it is. All of us have something to offer. All of us have a part to play in this kingdom, right? In this divine life. And, and we're all unique and we're all creative. And I, and I love that about Christ and, and how even through all of our diversity, all of our different ways of thinking and acting in this world, we still can be unified under this kingdom calling in our life. And so I, I'm going to give you guys just a few minutes, actually, to, to reflect. To reflect and to think about what are some of those gifts that you have to offer. And, and if you have a pen and you want to write it down there, go ahead. Um, and if not, it's okay. Just, just uh, take, take a minute or two to reflect and think about what are some of those things that you specifically have to offer. says, I will steward my gifts of whatever it was to participate in God's kingdom work in the world, knowing that these offerings are not a way to earn my reward, but a generous gift of invitation to those around me. You see, this is an invitation generously inviting you to experience the gift of the kingdom of God here and now and in the future. 
And this is, just, this is not just an individual invitation. I know that's kind of how we've been thinking about it. But this is actually a, a very corporate invitation for you as a church. How are you as a church stewarding your gifts and resources to care for your neighbors, to care for one another, and to continue to invite people in, not just to the church, but to invite people into the story of God that they can experience these same gifts that you are experiencing as well. There is this famous, uh, famous Polish pianist. See if you can say that three times fast. Um, his name was Ignacy Paderewski. And in the late 1800s, he was touring around Europe, and uh, the mother of this small boy decided to take her son to one of his concerts. And so they, they go into the concert hall, and um, as they walk in, they're kind of taking their seats, and she looks up, and he's gone. She doesn't know where her son went. And, and so she's kind of looking around and just trying to see where he's at, and all of a sudden she hears somebody playing on the piano, and she looks up, and horrified, it's her son, is sitting at the piano, kind of just plunking away on these piano keys. And the crowd kind of hushes and they look up and they see this and, and they're a little bit angry and they're kind of whispering to one another. And, um, and, and just as she is marching up there to grab her son, Paderewski walks out on stage and everybody freezes in the audience and they're all hushed and, and they're thinking, oh no, is he going to turn around and walk off the stage because he sees this small boy playing at the piano? Paderewski surprises everybody. And as the boy is plunking away at his simple tune, Paderewski comes up behind him and he starts playing the harmony below and above. And he starts playing this harmony and he whispers into the boy's ear and he says, keep going. Don't quit, son. Just keep playing. Don't stop. Don't quit. And friends, you have been invited into the divine life. The life with Christ and his kingdom here and now. And even though you might feel like sometimes you're just plunking away, right, this simple tune, Christ is masterfully playing next to you. And I hope that you hear him whispering to your heart, keep going, don't quit. Just keep playing, don't stop, don't quit. Because this is the generous invitation. This is the invitation of a God who goes out again and again and again and again to invite people in. And in, in a generous grace, that says, no matter how long you've been a part of this, my grace is enough for everybody, and it's abundant. So as we make our way to the table this morning, I love this, because the table is a visible reminder. As we, as we come week after week, the table is a, vi- is a visible reminder of God's invitation for us to join in. And I love that it plays so well with this vineyard illustration, right? Because he's, he's not only invited us to take part in his broken body, 
and in his shed blood, but his body and his blood actually propel us into the world just as he has generously invited us into the vineyard to tend to his grapes, he has generously invited us to tend to his broken body and shed blood. And to take this and to allow it to transform us and to embody this same broken body and shed blood to others as an invitation to them. And so, on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples and he, does what he, always, he did what he always does and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. And every time you drink of this cup, and partake of this bread, you do so remembering me and proclaiming my death, and ultimately we know his resurrection. And so as we come to the table this morning, I want you guys to reflect on God's generous invitation to you. And also reflect as maybe you're walking back, thinking how can I be a generous invitation to those around me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this people. And we ask that your transforming work by your spirit will be done in our lives today. God, you are so generous. Generous beyond comprehension. Generous beyond what we even know. Your grace extends to us and to others Lord, the grace that we don't deserve, but yet here we are. Lord, your invitation extends to us and to others. The invitation that we don't deserve, but Lord, you long for us to be a part of you. And that longing continues to go out hour after hour to invite more and more in. So God, as we approach the table today, that I just pray that we would do so with reflection, knowing that this, that your body and that your blood, it transforms who we are. And that we in turn become this body and this blood to those around us. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as you come to the table this morning, um, there's tables on both sides, and uh, it's kind of the communion to go, or the mick communion, some people call it. And, and you just uh, peel the top layer off, and it has the little wafer there, and, and then you can peel the second layer off, and, and the cup is there as well. Father, we thank you that you're good. I mean, you are the good. So, Father, we thank you there's no way that we could overestimate your goodness because you're the good. You're the good that we would judge the good with. You're good without limits, Father. And so, Lord, I thank you that you would call us to enter into your goodness. I was thinking about what Jesus said that he 
that, that, uh, that, that other privilege, but enter into the joy of your master. God, I thank you that you call us into your joy. Thank you, Father, for um, your words spoken to our hearts. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Chris. Thanks for that message. So um, appreciate that. And all of you, y'all, sending you out into the vineyard because this world is the Lord's vineyard. And, and if you ask yourself, well, what do I get? Well, you just came to the communion table. He gives you his son. You see, that's not because he doesn't like his son. That's because Jesus is from the bosom of the Father. It's that which is most precious, absolutely most dear to him. It's very, he's given you his very heart. And then Paul says this. He said, he's given us his son. Will he not give us all things with him? <laughs> wow, that's a lot, <laughs> all things. So what's the rub? I think God says that to me. What's the rub, Peter? Well, that Bud gets all things too. So, man, I can't believe it. So we're gonna have to share. Uh, but that's not a curse, that's a blessing, like Chris said. So I hope you take this with you, keep it in your pocket, and remember that you're being called to enter the joy of your master. So believe the gospel and you will live the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.